Welcome back to the Behind the Well Show. I'm your host, Roger Abel, here with Elias Randall again, a.k.a. the Plaid Planner. You're still living by that. I really like it. What's happening, Elias? Not too much. Just happy to be back in the hot seat wearing my, my beautiful red, white, and blue plaid shirt and uh, ready for the show today. What's up with you? Nothing, but I, I heard – Yeah, I heard you had a funny story for yeah. us. <clears throat> so my, my five-year-old daughter was going for a haircut Monday. And for like the last week, she'd been asking moms, just saying, hey, mom, I want to cut my hair short. And she has, you know, pretty long blonde hair. And so she goes, gets a haircut, and mom agrees to cut the hair short. You know, I have, I have no involvement in the haircut whatsoever. So after she's done, I'm like, you know, I call her and I say, hey, let's do a FaceTime because I was at work. And my wife is like, no, she does not want you to see, see her hair. It's supposed to be a surprise. I'm like, okay whatever and i just knew she'd cut it short so i go home i walk in and she's got to cut it like chin length now you know i'm like well, like super short her, the first words out of her mouth dad my hair looks like yours now <laughs> and my wife was so upset she's like she tricked me and didn't tell me but she 100 percent went and got her hair cut short so it'd be like yours she wanted so, hair like dad yeah so that's I'm, awesome I, I, and literally the day before i told my wife i said i think i'm gonna go get a haircut finally you know, it's been over a year it's starting to become kind of a pain but now i'm not sure i can because i feel like i'm gonna nope. break her heart because she went and got her hair cut like dad's so one of two things will happen Either she's going to be really upset that she has to keep her haircut that's longer than dad's, or she's getting a shaved head. My <laughs> wife said no way to that. So, so you, I, you're stuck with long hair now. Yeah, it was just funny because my wife felt completely manipulated by the five-year-old, not telling her why she really wanted to have her haircut short. Good for her. That's yeah, awesome. So that's how my week started out. It was it was, it was was really, really funny. So, But uh, today's show, um, we get asked a lot of questions and we talk a lot on our show about where you should consume your financial advice. And BT Wealth Show. BTWealthShow.com. That's where you should <laughs> consume your financial advice. But we talk about having a media filter and why you should try to filter out the noise and, and analyze what you're reading. Um, and today there's so many finance blogs, TV shows, classes, unsolicited advertisements on Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn or wherever. I mean, there's so much financial advice today. It's almost mind boggling to me because everything I open up is some type of article or financial advice. And I was sitting in bed with my wife the other night and we were talking about what we used to do 15 years ago, 20 years ago, like pre-iPhone you know, internet's kind of new. You don't have like wireless everywhere. And we're like, well, when we lived in our first house in like 2004, we had a computer room where you had the computer and the hard drive and we had a sofa in there. So we might go in there and like play on the computer, or pay some bills or do something, but the computer wasn't part of our life. And we said, what did we do? And I said, well, I used to play video games and my wife used to read books and it got me thinking er early on in our marriage, I didn't read anything because I didn't enjoy reading. The only way I got any news about the financial world or what was happening was if I literally picked up the Wall Street Journal, which I got delivered to my house, but very rarely opened, or TV. So I told my wife, I said, you know, honestly, I'm reading more every single day about my industry, my craft, finances, investing than I ever did 20 years ago. So, so we look at media as a bad thing, 
but there are good things that come of at least for me but the challenge is how do we filter it out um yeah so for you do you think <clears throat> do you think it's a convenience thing now where like all the information you want is just on your phone and you always have your phone with you so you're just more likely to read an article or something that grabs your attention honestly i probably read 20 to 30 articles a day because I have two minutes and I open it up and there's Bloomberg News or there's Wall Street Journal or whatever publication. And I can find the article that I gravitate to or I feel I need to know about where 20 years ago, I literally had to go searching for the information, right? Yeah, I had, you almost I had, had to, to like read the whole paper and then decide what was important to you. Exactly. Yeah, okay. so, so sometimes we talk about how technology's eroded some of that stuff. My wife and I kind of talked about it like, yeah, we actually communicated 20 years ago versus today. <laughs> We're on our phone. So, so there's good and bad there. Um, and we're saying that jokingly, but I thought this was funny because Lexington Law, we were reading an article and they conducted a study to kind of find out where people are getting their financial advice or who they're getting their advice from. And this show is all about good or bad financial advice because there's so much of it. And 30% of people said they rely on their own research and the internet for financial advice, which is Google. And the old adage is, you know, if it's on the internet, must be true. It must be, yeah. So, <sighs> well, in re research and Google, those two words are like interchangeable now, which I always laugh about. Someone's like, well, I researched it. But there was a time where that meant you actually did research something where now you really, what you did, you Googled a topic and then you read about it. I don't know if that's actually research. Yeah. So I remember when we were having um, our kids, <clears throat> the doctors told us, here's the deal. You're going to go like... Google something, because that's what people do. And they said, here's what you want to look for. You want to look for something that ends in edu, you know, dot edu, dot gov. They're like, that might be legitimate. But if it's just dot com, that right. means we have no idea whether this is real information or someone's opinion or skewed information. That's the challenge with the internet and why we need to have some type of a filter. In fact, 22% um, of people rely on a financial planner, which, you know, why do people hire the financial planner to do a couple of things? One, delegate their time, desire, and knowledge, but help them filter through what is actually important for them, right? Let, let us sift through and determine what are the information are we gathering that's actually good? 16% um, look to parents for advice, 10% to friends and peers, 9% um, get their financial advice from TV, news, magazines. Um, and the remaining 13% get it from advisors themselves. So today we're going to talk about some of the worst financial advice we've ever heard. Um, and I'll kind of let you, Elias, go, what's the worst financial advice you've personally ever gotten or you've heard a story about? Worst financial advice that I've ever gotten or heard a story about? Um, gosh, that's a good question. I honestly don't even know. Okay, well, I'll, I'll tell you what mine is. Yeah. And I remember when I bought my first house the real estate agent, which he's a really good real estate agent, said, hey, your home's gonna be your best investment you ever make. Bought into that. And vast majority of our population believes that their home is an actual investment. And I'm gonna argue with people that it's not an investment at all because your home is strictly a place to live. Unless you're planning on selling your home at some point in the future, to either realize the capital gains or you're gonna rent your home to get dividends and interest, it never becomes an investment. It is strictly a place to live. And it's 
And I think this narrative has been pushed upon society that, oh my gosh, you have to have a home. It's a great wealth building tool. And it is good at building wealth, but it's not an investment. And why I say building wealth is you can pass down your home to the next generation if you get it paid for. So it could build wealth for somebody else, but for most people, the home where they live never becomes a true investment. So I think that's a little bit of a fallacy, maybe the worst financial advice I've gotten. It wasn't that it was a bad thing to buy a home. It's a bad thing to look at your home as an investment unless you plan on selling it. That said, if you live in California and you bought a home for a million dollars and it's now worth four and you sell it and move to Iowa, you have now converted your home into an investment. But that's not typically what most people do. I can go through my list of clients and who I work with. Very few have ever sold their home to take the income, you know, to take the capital appreciation of it to help fund their retirement. More likely, they're more likely to buy another property. Hey, I've got one in Iowa. I might sell my house in Iowa and I'll have a condo in Iowa and a condo in Florida or Texas or wherever it may be. So I think that's the worst financial advice I've personally ever gotten is that your home is going to be the best investment you've ever made. Yeah. And don't people, I mean, a lot of people, if they sell a house, they typically upgrade to a better house, right? So it's almost like maybe you built some equity, but now you're almost starting over probably two or three times in your lifetime. you're exactly right. It's no different than when we started in the financial planning services and they said, well, you know, when someone retires, they're going to live on 80% of whatever they made. Well, I'm yet to have anybody take an 80% pay cut the day after they quit working. That's not how our society works. Our society is matching, you know, what we earn, what we spend to what we earn. There, there's the days of people, you know, saving 50% of their paycheck. There's some, but the vast majority of people don't do that. Uh, no. Um, So kind of with the growing amount of advice out there, um, we've seen an increase in conflicting opinions. And it doesn't matter whether it's financial advice or market advice. We've got bulls, we have bears, we've got all this stuff going on, bloggers and gurus calling out each other for giving bad financial advice on all this stuff. So let's look at some of the advice from some of the top names. Um, And I'm going to ask you this question and I'll take some of the rest, but Dave Ramsey, his advice is to cancel 401k contributions during the debt payoff period. What do you th- what do you personally think about that? Elias? So, and for if we have any Dave Ramsey listeners, you know, I don't. I'll just say I don't agree with everything, but I think Dave is a Dave Ramsey is a great person. Helps a lot of people. I 100% disagree with stopping 401k contributions to pay off debt uh, for a few reasons. Okay, I don't. I always think you should at least do the minimum to get the maximum mat to get the maximum match. A couple things, you can think of it as free money. So you're saving your money. Your company's giving you some money. And then another way I think about it and talk about it with clients is, if you save three percent of your salary and then your company gives you three percent, you've made no investment decisions. You've done nothing, and you immediately got a one hundred percent return on your money. So where what other vehicle allows to do something like that? And then, and I guess as far as, and then I, I can talk about my own situation. So I used to, when I was younger, I really prioritized paying off debt. But now that I'm older and understand more the power of compound interest and time being on your side when you're young, like to make up for some of that lost, lost time because you're not saving um, and investing, it's almost impossible to do unless you just start doing 
amounts of money that most people can't even do. Yeah, so we're on the same page. I 100% think that you should always get your full employer match. So if, if this was my advice, I'm, I'm going to say this is bad advice, but to make it better advice, you could say, hey, if you're maxing out your 401k, we would lower our 401k to get the maximum match possible from the employer, then apply the rest to retirement. And some of this comes because people don't understand their relationship with money. We've talked about this before. If we think rationally about how people think about money, most people are going to be in some level of debt their entire life, right? Yeah. yeah. There's the people that follow Dave Ramsey's system and they get out of debt. That doesn't mean they won't go back into debt, right? So why would we forego a hundred percent return on our contribution to pay off some debt that we might get back in three or four or five years if we had a bad event happen. The second thing that I think about this is when you don't take advantage of the company match, you're actually not getting your full paycheck. So if I went to most people and said, hey, I'm only gonna give you 97% of your paycheck, they'd be like, no, Uh, no no way, I want the (laughs) full paycheck. Well, when you go to an employer and they have a 401k plan put in place, they are assuming you're going to take advantage of that. And that is part of their, you know, total package they're paying to that employee. So people think about it that way. Hey, I'm not getting 100% of my paycheck. I only get 97%. The company has a 3% match. I'm giving something up. The other way to look at it is, I've, and this is what I used to tell people, because I worked with a lot of Dave Ramsey people. I used to be an ELP. And this is the one thing that I just never agreed with, because, you know, the same person that is not getting a 401k match is bringing a coupon in to the grocery store. Well, you turn away free money. Why are you turning away free money? That's what the 401k <laughs> match is. They're literally giving you cash. You know, if you're bringing the 27 cent coupon in for bread, you should sure as well be getting your match in your 401k. Yeah. So yes. this is actually some really bad, in my opinion, this is bad advice. Because yeah, most people that. don't have a good enough relationship with money to ever totally get out of debt. I mean, what happens to the person who starts Dave Ramsey's program? They stop doing 401k. They try to pay off debt. And six years later, they've gotten nowhere because most people don't ever get it done. They don't have a good relationship with money. They miss out on six years of contributions, six years of matching contributions that they can never, ever get back. Yeah. And that, yeah, and just the time, your time the time of your money not being invested, you can't make up for it. All right, so let's move on to Robert Kiyosaki. Do you, do you know who Robert Kiyosaki is? I'm, I'm pretty Actually, familiar. Actually, I do, yeah. Okay. I read um, right after college, someone gave me his book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. So it was actually one of the first finance books I read after school. Um, and, I, and I was actually going to say earlier, you asked me about the worst advice, which um, I really, I don't really think so much in terms of that's the worst advice I've ever got, but I think the best financial advice I ever got was from the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And that's the first time I learned about the concept of pay yourself first. And uh, so I just always, for me, that kind of changed my thinking. And um, I've always really, I guess I've really appreciated that and always thought that's the best advice I've ever had. Well, and you know, Rich Dad, Poor Dad sold 26 million copies He's had 15, or I mean, Robert Kiyosaki was sold 26 million books. He's created 15 books. But a lot of his advice is how to utilize leverage or debt to grow your riches. And and I've watched some YouTube videos about this, and I'm a little torn um, because I don't like to tell people just to go take debt. 
because that's good. He's taking debt to buy real estate. And I, and I watched one of his videos and they said, well, you know, if a person goes and buys, a, if you're 26 years old and you haven't accumulated any money, but now you could go borrow half a million dollars to buy a $500,000 investment property. Well, that does a couple things for you. Number one, you create some tax benefit because the interest is deductible. Potentially there's some depreciation that can be done, but you also create cash flow and appreciation on the property. And think about if you had half a million dollar portfolio and you're earning 8% a year, it's $40,000 a year you'd earn on that portfolio. It's no different if you have a property that's worth half a million and goes up 8%. But at 26 years old, how do you get half a million dollars to earn $40,000 of income or interest or dividends? Yeah, not many 26-year-olds are going to get that from the bank. That's right. So his whole idea is you take this compounding power of growth from a young age and leverage it to grow your exponential net worth. And and he talks about the four quadrants of money and it's the employee, self-employed, business owner, and investor. And and really trying to get to the investor portion where you're not getting a paycheck, right? You're not working for somebody. And it's done by using leverage and debt. Here's the issue with it. Some people take on an excess level of debt that they can't handle. Um, In fact, Robert Kiyosaki, actually, one of his companies filed bankruptcy because they couldn't pay the royalties on the books and seminars um, that he'd been doing. And he's been called into question about Rich Dad, Poor Dad and the fact that there really wasn't a rich dad and there wasn't a poor dad. It was a (laughs) fiction book that he's been capitalized on. So I'm torn as to whether this is good or bad advice because debt can lead you down the road. And I think back to Dave Ramsey. Dave Ramsey, when he was young, had this empire of rental properties. Right. And guess what happened? Well, he, he was over leveraged with debt and the market went sideways and he had to file bankruptcy, which led to him creating this debt free lifestyle, you know, radio show and book creation, all this different things. So I'm really torn on whether this is good or bad. I think that if I think about it for myself, if I was going to use this strategy, I would want to make sure that I could cover with my job that I currently had, I could cover the cash flow on those properties or that debt that I took, regardless of whether it was rented or not, which basically is just not getting over leveraged. Yeah, well, and this is kind of, you almost have to take this with a grain of salt, right? Because, okay, so one of the best ways to, some of the best ways to build wealth are in real estate or being an entrepreneur and owning your own business. so at some level, almost anyone who really has goals like that, you're going to have debt at some point in your life, right? But what they're, I guess the thing to think about is that when he's talking about using leverage, like, and the debt that really gets people, well, any debt can get someone into trouble, but he's not talking about consumer debt. Like he's not talking about, you know, use credit cards to live beyond your means. He's trying to teach people how to basically work for yourself. So I think that's a little bit different mentality too, right? Yeah, I think I think in my opinion, this is probably what I would consider probably good advice. I don't think it falls in the bad advice category because of what you just hit on. We're not talking about putting a fifty thousand dollar car on the Visa card, right? Yeah. We're we're investing in something, and investments sometimes work out and sometimes they don't, Correct. right? So I good think good advice this, probably for the financially responsible 
person who understands the risk they're taking. Exactly. With anything you do, you're going to take some level of risk. We're seeing this today with where interest rates are. We have pension funds buying single family homes. Just read an article that, hey, if you sold your home, it could be being bought by a pension fund because of where interest rates are at and what they can rent these properties for. It's a good cash flow driver for them. Yeah, and they need to generate income. Right. So, Elias, I don't even know if you know who this is, but do you know who Peter Lynch is? I do. I don't know a lot about Peter Lynch, but I know he was one of the best fund managers. He ran Magellan Fund of Fidelity from 77 to 1990. He's probably considered one of the greatest investors of all time with the Warren Buffetts of the world. He just worked for somebody else. He wrote a book called The Fear of Crashing. Um, And his advice was be fully invested in stocks, even if you're in the distribution phase. And the question becomes, is this good or bad advice? And here's what I would tell somebody. If you truly understand how the market works and you understand your relationship with money and how you react when bad things happen, it could be okay advice. If we have a long-term time horizon, the issue becomes... And this is why we do a financial plan. I mean, this was advice was given, I don't even know when this book was written, but a long time ago, probably pre-financial planning software, stress test, Monte Carlo, all these different things. Today, we can quantify whether someone can be 100% stock and be okay. Yeah, right. right. And I don't know, you would, you would have a better opinion on this, but I don't feel like a, a lot of people, especially in retirement, I don't know if they can stomach the roller coaster without the safety in their portfolio. I think that's more, I think for people it's more mental than actual whether it will work, right? I mean, truth be told, an equity investor over a long period of time is going to do substantially better more than like likely than a investor in a 50% stock, 50% bond portfolio over a 20 year period of time. It's almost, it's not a certainty, right? Nothing's certain, but more than likely they're going to do better. But it comes to the issue, can they stomach the ups and downs. And this is why we are huge proponents of the financial plan, because we can quantify for somebody, hey, if you believe in Peter Lynch, be fully invested and your portfolio and your financial plan says you can, that may be a great strategy if you can handle the ups and the downs of the market, especially today, because let's go back to what bonds do. They provide two things, either income or safety. Well, if interest rates are going to rise from here, it's arguable how much safety it's going to provide in a good market. Obviously, a bad market, they'll probably do okay. And then income, they're just not providing a whole lot of income today. So um, is this good or bad advice? I think this is only good advice in the context of your financial plan. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. And I think that when this book was written, and he writes in the book, he said, He describes in the book that um, if I convince you of its merits, you'll never again buy a bond or a bond fund. You'll stay fully invested in stocks forever. And it goes to he's getting people to buy into why they should do it. Most people don't have the individual fortitude or conviction, knowledge, whatever you want to call it, to sit back and be fully invested in the stock market and never let the human emotions become part of it. Yeah, well, and it also begs the question, if you can't sleep at night, is it even worth it? Like, even if you knew that strategy is better in the long term, if it's causing you anxiety because you don't have 
some level of safety in your portfolio that helps you feel good? Is it even worth it? So Elias, another really popular media celebrity, Susie Orman, she gave some advice. Somebody called into the show and they said, um, my mom got sick and needs financial help. I'm an only child. Do I stop contributing to my retirement accounts to help her out financially? And Susie replied, yeah, guess what? You do. This is a tough one. This is a tough this one. This is tough because everyone wants to help their parents, right? But yes. I guess my, I didn't, and I didn't hear the conversation. I just read about it. But my initial thought is I'm going to look for other areas to sacrifice before just saying, okay, I'll just sacrifice my retirement contributions. So, yeah, I think this is a really hard one because we all look out for family. Right. But also I want to look a little bit and say, well, why is mom in a bad financial position? Is it because of their own doing? They didn't save and they could have. But some people are just in a bad financial spot and it really doesn't have as much to do with they didn't have the ability right? We don't know the circumstances, Correct. but if they overspent and they didn't save, I'm not going to put my retirement on hold for them. On the flip side, if they were hit with a bunch of medical stuff that was out of their control, and they need help. I may pause it for a little while, right? Let, yeah. Let's be honest. If somebody had to stop their 401k for a year, it's not the end of the world. And let's go back to our previous question. I probably wouldn't stop it all the way. I would keep giving the free, getting the free money if I have a match. Correct. I'm not yeah, going to yeah. stop it and not get the match. Um, but I think I'd look at those things. Is this? Did you put yourself in this bad financial spot? Because if you did, then I just become an enabler. Yeah, I I agree with that. Yeah. And um, Dave Ramsey is kind of the flip side of this. Like Dave Ramsey talks about this a lot, and I don't mean to go back today, but Dave with college funding for kids. You know, he will tell the parent, hey, make sure your house is in order before you start to fund your kid's college because your college, your kids are not going to help you retire. Well, yeah, yeah, no, no college kid is going to well, even when help they get fund the or even if they're working, you're not going to get like a monthly stipend from your 35-year-old child who's working a good job so you can retire. Right, That's and the not same with happen. me, I mean, yeah. So this maybe is tough. If they're, maybe if they're like doing real good and they're fortunate, they could build you like a house on their property where the mom gets to live or yeah, whatever. So I would say this is like marginal advice, in my opinion. And in, the, in it, because we don't just stop the retirement accounts. We keep getting the free money. Otherwise, guess what we're doing? Not only is our mom or dad or parent or whatever in a bad financial position, but now we're putting ourselves in a bad financial position. We don't need to have two of us in this spot. Yeah, so it's really circumstantial, right? Because if they're in that position, it's almost really not fair to the younger generation. Like if if it's their fault that they're struggling, then it's almost better for the family to just kind of move on. But if it's something out of their control and you really need to help, then yeah, you should help them. I guess the other thing we could talk about in a way to quantify this is, you know, if the person or whoever asked this question had a financial advisor, they could go to their financial plan and say, hey, what is the effect on my long-term outlook if I were to do this, if I were to actually 
stop making a contribution to my 401k or my retirement. And then we can quantify that decision. That's why we have the financial plan. It's why we believe in the financial plan. That's why if you don't have one, you should go to btwellshow.com and get one because we can quantify that decision versus saying, hey, I think, you know, here, Susie thinks. We don't need Susie to think. We need someone to quantify whether this is a good decision or not. Yeah, we need some facts to make a decision. Yeah, so yeah. I say this is marginal advice. In my opinion, it's marginal. It's not good advice because we're stopping all contributions to the 401k. It gets marginal advice because we got to help our family and take care of those that we love and make sure that everybody's okay. But we have to kind of look at the circumstances of why we would do this. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. Because we don't want two people to be in a bad financial spot. That's just right. compounding a problem. Right. We don't want to make it worse. Jim Cramer. I love Cramerica. I like to watch it. Super entertaining. He's, in my opinion, he's one of the most entertaining guys out there. He runs mad oh, money. He, he, he hits is. the buzzers. He's got the bulls. He's got all the sounds. Um, I'm a big fan of his new rant about boomers versus millennials. I don't, what, what's the, I, even, well, I don't know if I've even heard it. It's just a common theme for him now. So the other day he was talking about the road and this is a big topic in our in- industry the rotation from growth to value and he's talking about the boomers and the suits are winning and the young people chasing these growth companies they're going to learn some hard lessons <laughs> so i just but i love any character who really takes a hard stance like that yeah it's entertaining right he is and he is an advocate for doing your own research and buying your own individual stocks, specifically the ones I tell you. He founded the street.com back in, I think the early 2000s, late 90s. Um, and he gives gives advice about what stocks to buy. Well, I just went and did a quick like Google search. Hey, Kramer's performance to that of the index. And um, what are the results? He's he under, beat, yeah. he doesn't beat the index. He's entertaining. Remember he's an entertainer. And I think the key thing, if you actually listen to Jim Cramer, he doesn't want you to just go buy the stocks he's telling you. He wants you to listen to the investor call. He wants you to actually do research, which goes back to the three reasons people have a financial advisor, time, desire, knowledge. The person for Jim Cramer is the person who has the time to jump on an investor call every quarter and listen to what the CEO of the company has to say, and then interpret that information with some level of knowledge, right? You have to have right. some level of knowledge to interpret what they're saying. And they have to have the desire to do this for each and every company that they individually own. So yeah, I'm so gonna say for the vast majority of people, this is actually bad advice. Right, because I mean, how, like he just said, if you have the time, desire, knowledge, Probably good advice for you to build your own portfolio and know everything you can know about the companies you're buying. But how realistic is that for people that are working a career, have a family, have hobbies, and all the things that we all have going on in life? It's not. Um, So I'm not going to say it's bad advice. I'm just going to say it's only good advice if you have the time, the desire, the knowledge to do it. Okay. Here we go. Sue Zorman again. Go figure. So choose a Roth IRA or a Roth 401k over traditional. And so she's a pretty big advocate of um, 
Roth 401ks, Roth IRAs, and anything that is money invested after tax and growing tax-free. So what are your thoughts on that? I'm thinking this is good advice for most people, especially if you're young, especially if you're a high wage earner. I think this is probably good advice. Most people would agree that we are historically at some of the lowest tax rates our nation has ever seen from a personal income tax standpoint and a corporate income tax standpoint. I think most people would agree with what just happened with COVID-19 and the massive amount of stimulus provided. At some point, we're going to have to raise revenues. And I always try to relate this back to the household. If your household was thirty, you know, $300,000 in debt and you made 70000 a year, how are you going to pay that off? Well, you're going to have to get a second job. Yeah, you're going to have to make more money. Well, if the government's in debt $30 trillion, we have $7 trillion of revenues, how does the government get a second job? They give themselves a pay raise. They go to your paycheck. Raise taxes. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty simple. They don't get another job. They go to your paycheck. Right. So I believe at some point taxes are going to be higher. And if you share that belief, the Roth IRA, the Roth 401k becomes a very important planning tool for the future. And not only the future for you, but maybe to those loved ones if you plan on passing assets to the next generation to them, because they're going to pass free, pass on on a tax-free basis as well. So I'm actually going to say good advice. I think most people should be doing the Roth over the 401k. If most people were to actually look at their tax return that are doing a 401k, and let's say you're a household with two kids making 150000 a year your effective tax rate is probably in the neighborhood of like 11 or 12%. It is super right. low. So why would we take an 11% tax deduction today when we could just have tax-free growth for the ongoing future? Yeah, right. And the majority of families, that tax-free compounding growth is going to be way more powerful than the tax deduction today. Most people don't understand how tax brackets work and that they're progressive, right? So mm -hmm. you pay like 10% in your first chunk of money, 12% on the next, and then you go into the 22% bracket, I think it's 80 some thousand dollars. Now you're paying 22%. Well, that doesn't mean 22% was retroactive to the beginning. That's just the new set of money. So it always I always get a kick out of people, oh, I'm in the 35% tax bracket. I pay 35% in, ta in taxes. No, no, you don't. No, right. You might be in that bracket, but you didn't pay that all the way up to there. So right. most people that are making 150000 with two kids are probably effectively paying 10 to 12% total, even though they're in that 22% bracket by the time you take their deductions and all the other things that they have for kids, house, interest, you know, real estate taxes, it probably gets them down to the 12%, 10 to 12%. So I'm going to say great advice. We This one's a home run. We'd recommend this one all day long. Yeah, I agree. Back to Dave. Yeah, Dave Ramsey. Basically avoid debt completely. And I think that's that's what Dave Ramsey's really known for, right? That's his the main thing he's popular for is getting people out of debt. Um so what do you think about that? Avoid debt at all costs. I mean, in general, debt's probably not good, but there is good debt. Right. If you're buying a business, if you're buying a house, I would look at those as good debt. Bad debt, credit cards, car loans, all those things, bad debt. 
So to avoid debt completely, I think is, it's not realistic for most people. I mean, how long is it going to take? And I know he doesn't tell you you have to save up to pay cash for a house, but saying avoid debt completely is all debt. I mean, arguably today, accelerating a mortgage payment that you have at two and a half percent or 2.75%, why? If interest rates go to 4%, you're actually net profit on that, right? You're making money on that. You don't see it, but you're making money because that means inflation is higher because interest rates will follow inflation. If inflation's higher, the appreciation on your home is higher. That's not, that's not bad debt. That's good debt. Um, so I'm going to say this is quasi good advice. Quasi good quasi advice. Quasi good advice. Yeah. Like I'm in between because I don't think all debt's bad. I, you know, personally, I had to borrow money to start my business. Most people borrow money to start a business. I paid that debt off, right? The goal wasn't to have it out there. I think if you're using debt, the goal shouldn't be to have in perpetuity. It should have right. the end date. Like, okay, instead of taking, you know, borrowing this money for 30 years, well, let's try to knock it off in five or seven or 10 years if it makes sense. I don't think in a mortgage today it makes sense to pay it off. I just don't. It, Stretch it out. You're not paying much interest. It's tax deductible under the current tax laws, up to $750,000 of of loan amount, I believe, unless you have an older loan. I think it's a million. So I'm going to say it's quasi good advice because we're not big proponents of debt, but business debt, home debt, we'd, we'd go along with that. I'd buy into that. Yeah. Well, and here's where here's where I can really get behind the no, the no debt advice is, and, and you know this, if when if people enter retirement with no debt or very little debt, so meaning they don't have to take distributions to service debt. And, you know, we work, I know I work with some retired folks who they make more money in social security every month than they actually need um, as far as money goes on a monthly basis. Well, and the reason is, is because they don't have any payments for anything. They don't have any yeah. car loans. They don't have any home loans. And, and as far as, you know, I can get behind that because now what they're doing is their whole idea now is I want to keep growing this money because I'm going to leave it to my kids and my grandkids. So I, from like a planning aspect, having no debt at retirement, I think is a great thing. Um, but no debt, if you want to own your own business and if you want to get into real estate and own real estate, it's just, it's almost unrealistic to accomplish certain goals without any debt. Yeah, I, I agree with that. If you're in retirement, number one, if you've retired, you shouldn't have any business debt, right? You either sold your business and paid it off. Like you shouldn't have business debt in retirement. Otherwise, sure you're, so. otherwise you're still working, right? And yeah. then home debt, you know, we've had this discussion before. We've had it on the show. Two things happen, right? If, if you're going into retirement with a mortgage on your house, in essence, you're just renting it, right? Because what's the end game? Yeah, if you're never going to get it paid off, you're you're renting. Right? I have the story yeah. about the couple I worked with. They're Dave Ramsey followers. Oh, they're they were like seventy. They have a fifteen year mortgage. They were going to have to move places because they couldn't afford it. They're going to move and sell their house and go to an apartment. I go, well, why do you guys have a fifteen year mortgage? Dave says we should get it paid off. I'm like, well, you guys are going to be eighty five. Like, what's the point in paying it off at eighty five? Well, says we should have it. Oh, okay. I go, so you're telling me you're going to move from your nice $150,000 house and rent this $700 apartment that if you took a 30-year mortgage would be the same price. And you just stay in your home. Yeah. 
They never thought about it. Sure enough, they went and did it. It was less than the rental price. So if you're in retirement and you have a mortgage, you can almost look at this as, hey, I'm renting for the rest of my life. I, I didn't get to the point where I paid this house off. That's okay. Not everybody, you don't have to own real estate. But if you get to that point, maybe you start thinking about, okay, I'm going to carry debt because lowest payment possible. I'm renting from myself versus renting from a landlord. Um, so I agree. If you're, if you can be debt free in retirement, great. Otherwise, you got to kind of structure this debt in retirement to make right. it make sense for your budget. Yeah, to make it work. So I, I kind of think in closing, Elias, that my key takeaways from any time we're getting financial advice, you need to think about a couple of things. One, what's your relationship with money and does this advice work for me? Right? The, the whole no debt thing, if you know you're not debt averse, meaning you're, you'll go borrow money for a John Deere tractor that you don't need, <laughs> then you probably should look at always being debt free, right? Cause right. you don't know how to manage it. But if you're the person that says, Hey, I, I need a, a bridge for 12 months. Yeah. Okay. Go borrow it, pay it off in 12 months. So we need to know our relationship with money. We need to understand what the motivation is of the people giving us the advice. Robert Kiyosaki, what's his motivation? So seminars, well, books, tapes, yeah. videos, Dave Ramsey, what's his motivation? Sell oh, books. courses, videos, yeah, courses, yeah. all those things. Doesn't mean it's bad advice. Same as Susie Orman. They all have an agenda though, and they're going to stick to their agenda. You just have to see whether that advice makes sense for you. Yeah. And the last thing I'll just say to go along with that. So the advice of the very famous um, financial people, Dave Ramsey, Susie Orman, um, that's very cookie cutter advice for people. And that, and finance, people's relationship with money. It's not a one size fits all solution. Everyone has a unique relationship. Everyone has a, um, a unique set of circumstances and goals. So just keep that in mind too. Yep. So with that, we appreciate everybody listening today. If you're looking for help, you can get a hold of us at btwellshow.com. Also, if you have a question you want to have answered on the show, btwellshow.com. I know we've actually been getting quite a few emails with listener questions. And we're going to cover that in an upcoming episode. Um, with that said, appreciate everybody joining in. Until next time. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPIC. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. All performance referenced is historical and is not a guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Premier Investments of Iowa Incorporated and LPL Financial do not provide tax advice. Please consult your tax professional.